you know, he, he's lost everything. All he has is a few newspapers in a satchel. Yeah. And he goes from small community to small community. And in a way, it is the healing power of storytelling. You know, you connect an audience together. This broken landscape full of bitterness and division and violence and anger, those stories connect people. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Today's episode takes us behind the scenes of director Paul Greengrass's new Western, News of the World. Set five years after the end of the Civil War, the film follows a veteran who sets out to return a 10-year-old girl to her family after she is taken by the Kiowa people. Their journey across the harsh plains of Texas soon becomes a fight for survival as the traveling companions encounter danger at every turn. In addition to News of the World, Mr. Greengrass's directorial credits include the feature films 22nd July, Green Zone, the Jason Bourne series, and Bloody Sunday. He was nominated for the DGA Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Motion Pictures for his 2013 film, Captain Phillips. Mr. Greengrass spoke with director John Madden about filming News of the World in front of a virtual audience. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Hi. I guess we are... This is you and me, Paul, I think. <laughs> um, I think it's um, I just I, it's a, a strange situation. I guess if we were doing this in any normal world, uh, we would be together in the DGA Theatre in Los Angeles. But uh, as it is, we're neighbours on on the north northeast coast of uh, the UK. Um, uh, but I just want to uh, welcome any DGA members um, who are watching this as we speak this conversation. Um, and just uh, since it's an audience of your peers, um, mm -hmm. you don't really need an introduction, but, um, but I just want to take the opportunity just to um, uh, salute you and register you know, my admiration for an extraordinary body of work, um, not, not just uh, for the intensity and ingenuity of the filmmaking, which is legendary, of course, um, but, but also for the fearlessness of the subjects you're um, prepared to take on. And actually, perhaps most of all, but not the one that would normally be spoken about, just the sheer skill of storytelling, um, which is a, an appropriate moment to pivot to what we're oh, here to talk cool. about. Very well done, John. Thank you. Uh, no, uh, I mean, I, I, that's, that's, that's sincere. It's a great honour to be here at the DGA because that is our peers, you know. And that's, it is. It is the most important and, and the most stringent audience we will have. Um, uh, but it's a good moment to pivot, I guess, to the, um, to the reason we're here to talk, which is about your, uh, your latest movie, News of the World, a beautiful piece of work. Um, uh, it is, of course, literally about storytelling. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. We can talk about that a little bit more later, but let's just uh, go back uh, for my benefit as well as anybody else's benefit and um, just give us a, a, an indication as to how this piece of material came into your orbit or you came into its orbit and why you decided to make this, um, this, this movie in the first place. Well, I think the roots, I think, are in the end of the last film I did, which was 22 July, which was a very dark film about, obviously, the Anders Breivik attacks, the right-wing yes. Yes. attacks in Norway. And it was really a film about how Norway dealt with the, the threat of right-wing extremism, because it seemed to me that was a great and clear and present danger. And obviously, recent events only served to underline that mm -hmm. but when it was finished I did feel a deep sense of concern I suppose about the dark world and my kids are sort of in that period of their they're sort of entering adulthood you know yep. they're sort of making their own way good way and that's a poignant time I think for any parent because you do start to think about the world they're entering and it, will it be as good to them as it was to me at their age and will they have the same opportunities and and most particularly how are we going to escape this kind of division that 
the the, the last film I'd explored. So yeah, I yeah. was thinking about making a film that was about where we would find the hope. That was really what was in my mind. Where where could we find the hope? What would the road out of this look like? How could I find a story that would that I could use to to mine that idea, I suppose, that feeling yeah. that I had. And I, it, I is that, it? but you often if you ask yourself the right question, a story kind of comes into view and that was the case about six months yeah. later um is it when, just to interrupt you for one second is it true to say that uh, it's hard to imagine you not being uh affected at quite a profound level of having to live in that story uh and it's sort of impenetrability for such a long time and and the need to search for some light in there must have been a part of the decision to for sure that's exactly it and you know the 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 film was uh, 22 July I'm talking about was about how various people in particular one family came through that experience but necessarily whatever hope if I can put it that way you could glean from that story was very limited very partial so that you're absolutely right I was you know, I wanted to I'm an optimistic person and I wanted to find a story that could, whilst be, being unsentimental without being, you know, without giving easy solutions would explore that road. And when I yeah. read the novel, I thought, well, this is it. This is something, this wonderful novel about this, you know, lonely old newsreader who wanders around Texas in 1870 in the shadow of the Civil War. Mm -hmm. And then he meets a girl and they go on an adventure because he has to take her to what he thinks is her home. Mm -hmm. That is the road out of this. They're, they're, they're going on down that road and the Civil War and, and Reconstruction post-Civil War, that's, that's them, but it's also now. So it all felt very resonant and very contemporary and... Mm -hmm. And, and you had an urge to tell that story. I did. And, and it, it all made sense to me because it was a Western. I grew up on Westerns. I mean, you know, you remember being a Bonanza on a Saturday night. In, yes. In, you know, <laughs> they were always on television. I never thought I'd get to make one. No. I had done that or been involved in, in that Netflix project, Five Came Back, about the five great Hollywood yep. directors who went to World War II and came back changed. And I'd done John Ford. This would have been three or four years before. Yes. So I spent quite a bit of a month or so re-watching Seal. So he was very much in my mind. And when I read the novel, it was very much like The Searchers in reverse. In The Searchers, mm -hmm. John goes out to find, you know, the girl in the desert, the, the young woman in the desert. In this, Tom Hanks finds the little girl at the beginning and has to bring her home. So it's the sort of Searchers. Mm -hmm. So that all made sense. And I wanted to make a different kind of film. I mean, I think all of us as filmmakers, we've, we've always got to try and do something different. Yes, to, that, to move out of your, your, your comfort zone. It's yeah. true. You know, yeah. and I thought, well, this is an opportunity to make a sort of classical movie, you know, classically shaped movie, a classically uh, wrought film, if I can put it that way, which... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. necessarily associate with me you know with 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 my aesthetic if I put it that way and I thought well, that'd be great so it all fell into place very nicely and Tom obviously was already involved and that was an opportunity to team up with with Tom again which was yes. fantastic. which and I imagine you were tremendously reluctant to do <laughs> well <laughs> The truth in a, in a Tom Hanks move, just get out of the way and let him do it because uh, <laughs> he is such a well. And two captains, of course, too. Two captains, uh, yes. Yeah. We need a third to complete yeah. the trilogy. Right, right, right. So, so uh, let, let's just pause there for a second and consider the the obvious thing, which is that it, you know, it, it, it by any standards, it is a swerve. Uh, from, you know, a, a direction of travel that 
that your films, you know, as I said earlier, commendably have a very, very distinct signature and a very um, powerful and urgent sense of immediacy and, and, and usually overwhelming material, material that actually overwhelms. That's part of the experience in, in your work. Not to say, by the way, that this film does not have those elements in it. It certainly does. Oh, it's different. It's definitely. It's different. very different. And one of the chief ways it's different, of course, is that it, 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 there is an emotional narrative sitting at the core of the film, which is a very different beast for you. I'm not saying it's the only time you've ever done that, but, but certainly in recent cinematic history, your cinematic history, mm-hmm. it's unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so uh, not only that, it's a Western, which is a, a genre that you never approached before. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just let's talk about how you, how you set about approaching that. So uh, let's deal first with the, the, um, the relationship that sits at the center of the film. So Tom was a, a, a given, am I right in thinking that? He had come across the material via and, another source. Utterly perfect in the role. Yeah. You know, oh, so. it, it, extraordinary, extraordinary. But attracted to it, I understand, um, uh, partly by the fact that, th- th- by the nature of the job that the character had. The, the, the news reading element. Yes. I think yes. it was also very contemporary. You know, it, it. you said earlier it's about storytelling, and that is the truth of it. You know, yep. he... He reads the news, you know, he, he's lost everything. All he has is a few newspapers in a satchel. Yeah. And he goes from yeah. small community to small community. And in a way, it is the healing power of storytelling. You know, you connect an audience together. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to mm-hmm. the next community and he connects with them. And so these, these, this broken landscape full of bitterness and division and violence and anger those stories connect people, stories mm-hmm. about, about uh, you know, local news. and But also, of course, the federal news, which is contentious, so it's not easy for you. Yes. And yes. I thought that was very interesting because, you know, you can touch issues of truth and fact, which are very, you know, very profound issues in today's yeah. Yeah, America, certainly, well, and, and Britain and across Europe, you know, so all of the storytelling, and it made me think a lot about what we all do, you know, yes. storytelling is the same, really, whether you make it on film or television or, 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 or radio or theatre or, you know, and in his case, just standing up and reading, it's the same yeah. principle. How do you hold an audience? How do you stay true? Yes. Whilst under attack. Yes. And also making that connection and holding it with an audience. So it all all, all felt very, uh, very relevant, very resonant of today. Just, uh, well, it's extraordinary, really, how how (laughs) bizarrely, I didn't say bizarrely because I'm sure it was partly intentional, um, the film overlaps current experience. Um, uh, even more so in the last, uh, you know, month or two. Uh, let's face it. Um, the, the you share the writing credit on this film with mm-hmm. Luke Davis, who I, I I take it Luke Davis had written a had uh, written adaptation well. of the book, right? And and you yeah. then how did that work? Just talk a little bit about that. Did you a draft? Um which was excellent. I, I suppose when I came on, I felt that I wanted to go in a different, quite a radically different direction, I suppose, mm-hmm. uh, is the truth of it. And Was um, that in terms yeah. of uh, developing what you saw as a possible kind of contemporary parallel? Yes, or? I would say that was the essence of it. I wanted to put it into a more... Uh, a more dangerous world and a more contemporary feeling world and right. try and make that play. And uh, I have to say, I think you, you've handled, you've handled that. Yeah, yeah I have to say, I think you... Sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Paul. I was saying, but all these 
things are steps on the journey. You know, it's it's you know, a writer does a draft. It's not it's 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 a stepping stone to something that may be different. Yeah, that makes it's it's no. You know, Luke's a wonderful writer, and I mean no disrespect. It was you know no. I think it's fair enough in this sort of situation that you need to make the film oh, into the film you, you want to be, and I think, yeah. On the yeah. journey. Yeah. I think, it, you know, it, it's very easy to imagine, uh, given what you're saying, that the film might feel as if it has something imposed on it, and it absolutely doesn't feel that way. As somebody who's not um, uh, familiar with um, uh, Paulette, um, uh, uh, I'm going to get her name wrong. Yes, Giles. Yes, indeed. Yes, uh, Paulette Giles' book. It, it, it feels um, just, in a sense, it, it it sort of resonates while you're watching the film. How much um, you know the the, the little um, parallels and so forth. The, then the very big parallels and the larger kind of context that you're talking about. But I think that's very very well handled. I mean, it's strange, and I have to think somewhat accidental because it, the chronology wouldn't work otherwise at the very first piece of news that he's um, uh, reading about, if I remember correctly, is about a, a local epidemic. Uh, is that uh, right? Yes, it, it, it was. And that was an example of, of you know, the, the, the core of the novel is really these two characters, you know, um, yeah. Uh, kid and Johanna and their journey. Yeah. yeah. His journey to take her to what he thinks is her home. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and you know, although I was trying to put it into a more, you know, pr press, get the world to press on the characters more, perhaps. Yes. But, yes. but then things happen that are entirely unpredictable i mean uh, you know the reading about the meningitis yes. epidemic that opens yes. the film of course that that was just one of the things in texas if not you know all across america and europe you know but there were always fears about meningitis and cholera they the epidemic swept yeah you know no, it's really completely cholera. embedded in the story exactly but but that was a north but it didn't mean anything other than to me, the world, you know, no. you close the film with, with meningitis and and his, you know, discovery about uh, about what happened to his wife, and, but of course, once we start, once Billy, Goldberg and I started putting the film together, and Billy was sort of, it, it, the way Billy shaped it, it, it kind of suddenly it was, well, this yeah. is the pandemic, but. We had no knowledge of that when we shot no, it. No, of course it's not. I mean, it's just so striking if you come at it w with the perspective that an audience that's seeing it now, a year after you finish the yeah. film, you know, and to find that actually the uh, the news being delivered is the number of fatalities. There literally isn't a news bulletin anywhere in the world, which that is not the lead item. So, you know, in a sense that that sets the movie up as sort of, as an experience that the audience is running on, on a, a parallel track, but enough of that because I think it's it's uh, it's beautifully done and and its resonance is perhaps something we can come back to at the end. So just going back to the the um, the kind of central thing. So obviously Tom was cast, and I assume Helene Vangel is that how you pronounce her Helene name? Helene Vangel. Sorry, she was not. And had you? Ask me at the start of it, what do you think you're, you know, the way you start a project, you always have a sense of what your big problems are going to be. You know, what are the yes. big problems of this project? I would have said the number one big problem uh, would be the, the finding of the young girl because yeah. I, need, I wanted her to be German because she would indeed have been a German girl. Yes. Because, yes. You know, tremendous yes. numbers of German immigrants came into Texas at that time. Yeah. And, uh, but I thought it was going to be an agonizing search. We'd see hundreds of young girls, you know, she was going to have to go head to head with Tom. She has to hold a, a lot of the storytelling herself and doesn't have a lot of dialogue, you know. Yes, yes. Um, 
I thought it was going to be an agonizing choice and, you know, and I'd be anxious the whole way through. In actual fact, it was absolutely the easiest decision because she'd just done this film System Crasher, which had yeah. won the bear at Berlin. Um, mm. And Gail Mutrix sent me a link uh, and I watched it. And actually, I thought as I watched it, which is an extraordinary film, by the way, if anybody hasn't yeah. seen it, about a disturbed child. And she is quite brilliant in it. Yeah, and I just as I was watching, I thought, well, what are the chances of there being two eleven-year-old girls in Germany who can act as as well as this? Well, and, this, this. It, it was easy. I'm she surprised you even felt the need to resist it. <laughs> I well, I mean, we, we we spent the day together, and her mum brought her over, and she was just a natural. And then, yeah, uh, well, she's—I uh, mean, you're blessed. Um, in the film because... Uh, well, I'd she, love to say it was an exhaustive search, you know, but it really wasn't. It was literally, she she came fully formed and, yeah. you know, I had anxiety, of course, as any director would. You know, the first day we shot the scene where she meets Kid in the woods, you know, mm -hmm. and that's a big, big moment. And mm -hmm. you know, there's always the thing, she was a long way from home. She was 11 years old. Well, she had a mum with her, of course. But, yeah. you know, it's a film set far from home. She doesn't know anybody. It's not familiar. It's a big part. I mean, she was... She was did you, did they, she nailed it. Did you, jump, moment. did you jump straight into the filming with her and Tom? Or did they spend yeah. time together beforehand? Oh, they, they they spent some time together, not a lot, but they did. They did. Mm -hmm. And he was wonderful with her, you know. They well, they bonded immediately, actually. They yeah. were really, really, uh, uh, you know, a lovely pair. And they'd sit on yeah. that wagon for hours while we set shots, you know, and they'd, you could hear them, you know, I'd have my, I could hear them talking to each other. There was one time when quite early on I heard her say, Tom. Does everybody swear on an American film set? <laughs> Does history record his reply? He was a bit dumbfounded. It's like, no, everybody's being very careful, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Rather she more, was, I should imagine. He was. They were great, and they you know, yeah. they bonded, and they and he was extraordinarily generous to yeah. her in the way he played. But but she. Held her own. She oh, oh, more more than held her own. I would say. I mean, it's and you could see you know? if you stood away from it, you could see that there could be traps in the way that that part might be played, uh, sort of uh, overt feistiness or uh, hostility. But she never played one color. There's something sort of unbelievably magnetizing about about what was going on in her head. Um, it's yeah, a very so rare temptations gift. were, going back to the earliest evolutions, I I mean, I love uh, Paper Moon, Peter Bogdanovich. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely mm -hmm. masterful film. Yeah. But I felt that to, which would have been an e easy thing to do to sort of create a, a young girl who was sort of a bit like that, you know, very yeah. sassy and, you know, and yeah. all of that. And I thought that was fundamentally, for all that I absolutely adore that film and Peter's work on it, uh, I felt that this child would be traumatised. Yeah. Given yeah. what happened to her yeah. and she would yeah. have to be silent. And the other temptation was... Uh, to avoid, um, uh, which I was very anxious about, was not to kind of have too much humour at her expense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Given that she's a child who's yes, it would have objectified her, and actually, you you know, it you you're pulled into such an intense relationship with her. You see her through his eyes, and. Uh, and I, I think a sense of trauma, you know, is, is evident from the beginning. But, but, um, and then she gets the way to play, she gets to play, 
she gets to play courage then. Yeah. Which yeah. is what she she really plays. And and really in many ways the story of their unfolding relationship is her having the courage to face up to what's happened to her and him gaining courage to face up to his past through through his interactions with her. And I thought yes. that's yes. the most truthful and beautiful thing about the film and the thing that both actors just absolutely nailed, you know. Yeah, it completely. It's also uh, very beautiful, the word, the physical relationship between them. They're in close proximity to one another all the way through the film, mm -hmm. but they barely touch except when they're up against each other in a and never, circumstance. And never, and never really talk about what's happened to each other, with only no. one exception. And yeah, that was another choice that I weighed at the beginning. I felt that it would be a mistake to show what had happened to either mm -hmm character in the past. It, it, one of the strange things about the film is that these profound events have shaped their life, but they'd all, they've all occurred before we come mm. to the film. And I... But that's... I like that. I like... I, I couldn't became, agree more. It became I, the well, journey... Unfortunately, you're forced it. into a... Yeah, you're forced into a kind of a flashback uh, construction which would not add anything. I mean, your point is she needs to experience him in the present tense and he needs to experience her in the present exactly tense. Exactly right. That's exactly right. And, uh, and then you have to trust, and that goes to the weight on her as an actor. You know, she has to be able to do as well as Tom. You know, and that mm -hmm. is a heck of an ask. And she... I know. She's, she must have been gloriously unaware of that challenge because she manages it. She has to have all that credit, but Tom as well, because he was so uh, giving and yeah. generous. I mean, I remember, in fact, she tells the story, the final scene, yeah. uh, well, not final scene, but the final scene when they're reunited. Yes, where he comes back to find her. Which is, uh, you know, obviously a you know, very, very important scene and a very moving scene and Incredibly, yeah. beautiful, you know, acting of the highest calibre from both of them. He sat there and gave performances off that were every, for her, when she was on camera, that were every bit as intense. Yes, I'm as sure. when... We took, you know, when we were on Tom, yeah, and, and I thought that was the mark of the man, you know, and the mark of, of course, of, of course, of course, generosity that he would be there, you know, yeah. for her yeah. no matter what. No, it's a very, it's an intensely moving moment in a in a very very strong film. Let's just um, uh, set that aside for a second and just talk about the business of making making a Western. Um, yeah. And uh, as you say, a more sort of classical style of storytelling. I think people uh, in our profession would be interested in, in the way that you approach that. Let's just talk about personnel to begin with. Obviously, in, in a lot of your films, you've worked with a core group of collaborators who um, with whom you have presumably, obviously, from the point of view of a viewer, uh, you know, an incredibly profound chemistry, understanding, and so forth. And, um, and obviously, the first choice that you made was to approach a different set of collaborators um, in, in very key positions. Um, and so just talk a little bit about that, uh, Darius Wolski and well, so forth. I mean, Barry Aykroyd and I have obviously made a lot of films together, and Barry and I reach way back to indeed days where, indeed. Indeed. where I remember meeting you. You perhaps don't remember. I remember watching you go into a cutting room. I don't remember what you were making there, but I was a young <laughs> world action documentary person. I remember thinking it was... A place of unbelievable magic that you were shooting drama. But anyway, I digress. Um, I, look, I, it was important to me. I mean, I love 
and revere and honor everyone who I've been lucky enough to work with, you know, yeah. in whatever the roles and, and the, you know, whatever the things that work in those films are very often down to those people and whatever thoughts they're, well, they're down for a collaboration, aren't they? They're down to a collaboration. Wonderful. They're part of your family and dear, dear friends. I think it is true, I think, or certainly I felt it to be true that if I was going to make some films that felt a bit different and I felt the need to do that because I think you, you have to grow and, mm -hmm. and try different things, Mm -hmm. that I was going to have to work with some new people who would test me. And I had done that before. I mean, I, prior to coming to make films in Hollywood, I made very small films and, and mainly television films, actually, but, but a few small theatrical pieces in the UK. And I had a exactly a sort of family crew that I made them with, you know, close collaborators. Um I remember when I came to do Born Supremacy, I wanted to come on my own. It was really important to me that I, to see if I could do it on my own. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a protection you get, you know, when you, you, you know, you grow up with a first and a DOP mm -hmm. and you know what I mean? And a designer, yeah. they're your team and you love them dearly. But but I wanted to have the terror of being alone and yes. seeing if I could do it with, with a whole load of people who'd be working with, you know, uh, people who were making movies that I'd been to the movies to see, you know, and it yes. was intimidating for me. And I, I wanted to see if I could cope, you know, yeah. and, I, and, I, and it, it was important. But then as I got to this stage, I suppose the last couple of films, I began to feel the need if I was going to broaden out again and do some different things, I had to, to try some new collaborators and that no reflection on all the wonderful people I've worked with, no. but, but with Darius, you know, he shoots these wonderful, beautiful, classical, huge movies, you know, and I thought, well, and I love his work by the way. And I, I, I I said to him when I said, you know, I'd love you to come and make this. Film. And I spoke to Barry and said, you know, Barry was so good about it. You know, he said, totally, I understand. It's like making music. If you make music with somebody different, you play differently. You know what I mean? Yes, it's, of course it's you do. I, I, I think there's it, it, always a paradox, isn't there, in our world, which is that the, the director, you know, can very easily find himself working with the same people all the time. Whereas those people probably are having the experience of working with other of course, directors. That's exactly what I and said. So they, I think, all, they all do get the variety. And I yes, I, it does not demand to the trail. Yeah, we need it too. Yeah. And uh, and so I said to Darius, you know, I want to make a more classically shaped film, but I want it to still feel authentic to me it's you know I don't want to feel like the guy who put on flared trousers and went to the disco you know what I mean it's it's got to be <laughs> authentic to well, me and, and feel like an evolution that you would understand and I thought actually that was going to be quite difficult but actually Darius number one he's such a you know he's such a great company and we got on very well from that but actually very quickly although we came at, at, at sort of the, the look of the film from different places, you know, mine's much more sort of first person and, mm -hmm. and maybe a bit more urgent in some ways. Mm. But actually, he's, he's a fabulous DOP. Mm. We fell into quite quickly the language of the film within a day or two, really. And it yes. was, and it became a lovely collaboration and, and, you know, I, I, when I well, I think it, while it, you know, it's, it's a fantastic film to look at. I mean, it's as you might expect with somebody like that behind the camera. It also has a, you know, I think the hallmark of your work, uh, I referred to it earlier, is that it's, it's very, very present tense and it's very immediate right. and very, um, 
you, even in big wide landscapes, you're very close to the experience of the people who are at the center of it. So uh, that is, you know, there <laughs> sort of undiluted. Um, and I yeah, think collaboration be another one, James, you know, James. Yeah. Well, that's obviously a, a new departure for you, a different kind of film, clearly. So d d how did you arrive at that choice? Well, same thing, really. You know, I, I mean, I, who doesn't love James's works like Darius? Yeah. It's just extraordinary, you know. Um, and um, and Billy Goldenberg, of course, cut it. And and James was that the first time I, you've worked with that? With uh, second time with Billy, but first okay. time with Darius and, and with James. And James, yeah. well, he has done so many wonderful scores. We. He came out, we sat out, we were shooting, I can't remember which scene it was, but we were out in the desert in the middle of nowhere and it was kind of late afternoon and we were setting up a shot. And I remember it as one of those memorable moments, you know, when films are done, there's always these sort of little epiphanies you have that where you yeah. remember being there. And yeah. I remember we were sitting out waiting for the, you know, 10 minutes or something and it was so gorgeous and the light was coming down and you know you've got wagons and horses and you know all the paraffin and cranes and all the bits and bobs and yeah. and you just think and we were all giggling the four of us I think Gary gets what was that I can't remember but we were all giggling at the idea that here we were out in the desert shooting a western you know and it, it just <laughs> seemed such an absolute uh, you know, just a wonderful childhood fantasy for all of us being yeah. fulfilled, and yeah. and on the serious side, you know, um, I think I mentioned earlier having done that John Ford thing, and he was very mm -hmm. much in my mind. You know, I remember saying, you know, if you look out at those hills, fifteen miles away, you know, you can almost feel the the ghost of Papa Ford, you know, you just yeah, have this intimidating sense, actually. For yes. all of it, I, I was going to ask you that. Enormous footprint, you know, how yeah. do you, how do you measure up to one of the masters of, of, of our craft? Yes. You? Well, by making your own movie, which you've certainly done. And, and, and of course we're not talking about a remake here, but, uh, uh, but no, I mean it's it's still it's it's a mighty shadow. It's a oh, mighty shadow. Yeah. And and James, I mean he nailed that score. I think that's a most beautiful score. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it, it's really wonderful. Um, just to um, uh, also just talk a little bit about uh, we were talking before we came on air, as it were, about the experience which you and I both share, but. Um, the only one I'm interested in is your experience where obviously at a certain point, I think just around about the director's cut, the, the seriousness of the grip that the pandemic, well, it was about to become a pandemic. Um, yeah. uh, so you presumably completed all the rest of the post-production uh, in remotely, the, it, the situation it, we've now become so used to. It was interesting. Uh, Sorry, yeah, you can. Yeah, go no, go ahead. I'm just going to ask you for that. Well, we shot it prior to Christmas, so we were all done. You know, we were shut out by um, by Christmas a year ago, mm -hmm. and then we reconvened in London and started cutting. Mm. And we weren't very long in when, obviously, when the first lockdown happened and panic, yeah. and there was this eerie few weeks when you felt it coming, as you know, as everybody remembers. Yes. And then when we closed down, everybody had to go their separate ways. You know, Billy and various people had to come back to to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So we ended up... You ended up on Evercast, I think, didn't you? We ended up on Evercast. And I was a bit sceptical and I was very worried, I'll be honest, because we were mm -hmm. not that far in. Uh, James and I had obviously met when we were shooting, but, you know, we we hadn't even begun our work. He was due to come over yeah. and I was due to go over there. You know, there was a whole schedule that suddenly went out the window and we all went to 
various different places, you know, uh, in the UK and in and in LA, and, and met in Evercast. But actually, and if did I did you did was the score composed remotely as well? Was that all recorded in completely in remotely and recorded remotely? Mm-hmm. And actually, with one exception that I'll come to in a minute, it was a. I remember it as a very, um, you know, a very positive experience. We used to mm-hmm. meet in the morning, uh, you know, on, on in the room in the Evercast room, you know, and well, that's you and the editor. But presumably, so was the editor working in LA? He was in LA, yeah. yeah. So we would just meet every. So when morning. you say meet in the morning, though, what? what like, morning? Like, like this, but well, he, you know, we we would change and change about. I'd go late, you know, and right. uh, but but um, that was a you know, but but actually, and it helped because Billy and I'd worked and made the previous film together, so we knew each other very well. And yes, you know, and, and and but actually, it became. I didn't really, I think after a week or so, I don't think he or I even thought about the fact that we weren't physically meeting. No, I, I understand that. It's a, it's a, it's a new normal, isn't it? I, and I think that, um, you know, maybe we're doing something positive for the planet by not expending, uh, you know, large amounts of airline fuel. With one exception, that there was one, now when I look back on it, and it was generally a, uh, although it was tougher in some ways because you know you're spending endless amounts of time mm. sort of double screening as it were yeah um, but the one thing that I did find tricky was calibrating length as accurately as I otherwise would and I think that was because it was just impossible to watch the film in front of anybody. Well, uh, I, 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 I have exactly the same. I, I, I imagined you'd say that. It is, that's the one big problem, isn't it? it which is that you, you make a film without the experience ever of seeing it with an audience, which exactly. and is, that, that, that's that, the, missing, the missing element in, a, in an edit, really. Exactly. And it, 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 it became, because I think I'm pretty unsentimental when it comes to cutting you know I don't tend to get I mean my films don't tend to be that long anyway you know traditionally mm-hmm. historically um, so I don't really ever have a problem getting down but but I found the last 10 minutes hard you know mm-hmm. because I was you get nervous because I could feel that the film was fundamentally playing and it had strengths and it was working well and the performances were great and it looked beautiful, you know, and the story was by and large working. So you get to that place where it's hard to judge the the, the little longers or the to get to that moment. Yeah. Which uh, are you holding people right up until the last exactly. minute? And you, yeah. you always feel it when you're with an audience. You go, we need to take four minutes out there yeah. or, yeah. or yeah. It, we're long there. And, yeah. and yeah. what happened was it, it, you slightly get a little bit fearful that, that if you go too far, too fast, you'll lose it in your mind. And that, I think, when I look back on it, we got to a good place, by the way, and, and in the end... Don't think it. Uh, I don't think you had a problem, but yes, no, I, but, I understand it. When I look back, that was the difficulty of the remote post-production. Mm-hmm. Uh, even just down to Billy and I and three or four, you know, going to watch in a screening room. You, yeah. you do have a sense of a film different to yeah, when you, you sit and watch it on the screen behind you. It's harder. Yeah. You yeah. found it with the film you've just finished. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's very, very much so. You know, it's, it's a little harder to get that. You know, that trick where you've got to make yourself think because you've moved rooms to a different theatre, you get a different watch, and that's the watch you want. I understand. We're just talking about we should probably wind up around about here, but I just want to ask you one thing because another thing that's obviously changed during the time that you've been making the film or rather posting the film, 
which is a dramatic change, obviously a movie that was always destined to be seen on a big screen, will now presumably be experienced by possibly even the majority of its audience in a different environment than the one that it was intended for. Not that one excludes or vitiates the other, but what, what feeling do you have about that and about the possible impact that I think what we're experiencing now will have? It's changing the industry for sure. Well, I think, Not, I think, in bad ways necessarily, uh, but... Uh, look, I'm, uh, you know, colleagues watching will have different views to me. I'm on the more optimistic side of the spectrum, but I'm not blind to the difficulties and challenges. I would see it like this. I think that there are... We face two crises simultaneously. Uh, the first mm -hmm. one is the obvious one of COVID, you know, disrupting production and decimating exhibition. That's an existential threat to our, our business. But I think that will recover, and I think it will recover, you know, within six months, I think people in pretty large numbers will be back at theatres because vaccines will come in and, and, and we all miss the collective experience of storytelling. So I'm, I think that one will sort itself out over six to 12 months, you know. The other problem is the one, obviously, that is just a, a different order of problem, which is the rise of the streamers and how will or won't the theatrical experience coexist with it. Well, the truth is, I think about that, that that's driven by two things that are almost beyond our control or, or, or are definitely not in our control. One is technolog technological change Mm -hmm. enables movies to be streamed, enables global content to become a reality. So it can't be unmade and consumer choices married to that is going to drive it. So I think that the studios are going to obviously, as they are, develop streaming arms uh, mm -hmm. and the streamers are going to develop theatrical arms and they're all going to congregate in the central space offering versions of streaming and theatrical at the same time and that and it may possibly don't you think allow a, a, a kind of recalibration of the kind of movies that get to be made um i, th I think a lot of them a... be made that would otherwise not have been made mm -hmm. um uh, you know i think i think that's the good side of it i think the other thing is that you know when when I was a kid, you watched a movie once when it came to town. Mm. Yeah. If you loved it, you maybe went twice, mm -hmm. you know, and then you never saw it again for years and years and years and years, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm talking when I was, you know, when I was a young, <laughs> young kid. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's not the way. And that, that was the days when there only was a theatrical screen. You know, that was the cinematic experience. These days, kids, you know, young people experience movies in all dimensions simultaneously. You mm -hmm. know, they're watching their favourite movie that they like to come out. They're watching it, you know, three, four times in the theatre. And then they're watching it download probably three, four, five times. They're watching these movies 30, 40 times. You know, in really quite a short period of time mm -hmm. and devouring movies, uh, you know, at, at the most remarkable rate. Mm -hmm. And and that's just a different, you know, it's 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 part of the the kind of digital universe, really. Yeah. That yeah. the, the, the movie image now is no longer just a cinematic, it's going to still be a cinematic image. And it's very important that we protect the art of cinema and that we continue to make them. But, but, it, but it will have to live in this other world. And then I'd make one last point, if I may jump, which is that yeah. the problem with this film that we faced and, and other colleagues watching will have had the same problem. What do you do when your film is ready, you know, we, this was dated for Christmas day in the States before we finished shooting, you know, so in 2020 or whatever it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 2020, mm -hmm. uh, 20, yeah, whatever it was. Um, mm -hmm. So prior, well before the pandemic, we were the Christmas movie for Universal. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. um, then, of course, you know, COVID comes. You get to the fall, you know, four, four months ago. Wh what do you do? What do you do if you're a studio? What do you do if, a film, if you're a filmmaker? In that circumstance, well, the truth is lots of films have been moved to the following year. Uh -huh. I didn't want to do that because I felt this film really was a film for now. I actually didn't want to do it, to be fair to them. And in the end, although that is was a, a sort of, in the end, we released it on Christmas Day. And, and um, uh, but, but the choice really became a little bit like, you know, in a smaller way, Chris Nolan's choice with Tenet, you know. Mm -hmm. it, 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 we can't just all never release any movies for the next two years. I think that's not viable. If we believe in cinema yeah. and we believe there are going to be better days to come, we have to at least release a few movies. And they're sort of like statements of faith, really. I mean, you know, yeah. it's like not going to make anything like the the return on this film that they would have made in a theatrical world. And, and obviously it's not going to be the creative experience that I would have wanted. And Darius and I and James and everybody else who made it wanted it to be seen on the big screen. But we do gain this, that we've released it. We've said these films still exist. We've, we're still mm -hmm. all making them, you mm -hmm. know, colleagues watching are making things yeah, and which i think actually it's it's, it's helpful to remind it. people of that yeah uh, james exactly. bond recedes ever further into the exactly. uh, and i'm proud the, of that and i'm actually proud of universal uh yeah. doing yeah. that they did it uh, collaboratively with us of course they're exploring yeah. their their new model but yeah. you know if if there are going to be better days to come and yeah. And uh, and that's what this film's about, and I'm I'm proud yeah. of it that way. Well, I, I uh, the last thing I'd salute is your optimism, Paul. <laughs> a man after my own heart. Uh, yeah. Listen, I'm going to thank you on behalf of all the other people who might be watching this now, or have been watching it, or will watch it in the future. It's a marvelous film. You deserve congratulations, not just for making it, but also for releasing it when you wanted to release it. Uh, well done. Great, Great to, talk to, you. to talk to you. And, to, yeah, and, and good luck with the movie. It's got a long life ahead of it, for sure. Thanks a lot. See you, all everybody. Right. Very nice to see you all. Keep safe. Better days yeah, to come. Okay, you too. Take care, Paul. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned in the coming weeks as we bring you discussions of films from Andrew Heckler, Ramin Barani, and Eliza Hitman. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally. <laughs>